I know so little about Ben Affleck. Maybe he's I don't the need worst. Anymore. Maybe he's the best. Hello, and welcome to Popular Science's Techathlon, tech news through games, trivia, and usually friendly competitions. I'm your host, Jason Letterman, and playing along with me today are Corinne, the Kingpin Iosio. Is that like the Woody Harrelson movie? Sure. That movie was weird. Or like Daredevil. There was a head in a bowling ball, right? What's in the bowling ball? <laughs> Stan the G-Man Horacek. Why don't I ever get our nickname jokes? <laughs> <laughs> and Rob the Slob Verger. It's true. I'm very messy. That's not true at all. You're I- I want everyone to know I did not write the nicknames this week. Rob deliberately wrote that he was a slob. I wrote them, and I just wanted to find words that rhymed with our names. Oh. That's, that's where the they theme, came from. That's the theme this week. First up, we're going to play the Techathlon Decathlon, 10 trivia questions to catch you up on the week's tech news. I'll ask our panel all about what's been happening in the tech world since our last episode. They'll buzz in to answer, thereby locking out the other players. They'll get points for each question they correctly answer and have the opportunity to steal any questions that their fellow panelists answer incorrectly as long as it isn't true or false or multiple choice. Whoever has the most points at the end of the game will win a fabulous prize, and this week the prize is extra special. Let's get started now. Question number one. In a move that many of us cheered for, Windows announced last week that it was changing what default heart Hardware policy that many of us already ignored. Rob? It's going to make it so that it's safe to just pull out the USB drive without clicking, you know, eject safely first. That's it. Not that anybody ever, like, goes through the motions of safely ejecting anyway. The old pull and pray, right? That's what they call it. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, that's called. I wrote a whole article about this for Popular Science. It was It's a fun, fun topic. You don't have to click eject. Just do it. What's the uh, advantage of clicking eject instead of just pulling a USB drive out of your computer. The advantage is it's just it's a safer approach to click safely eject because your computer might be using something called the write cache in the background to transfer the data over and even though you think it's done it might not be done. So the yeah, safest approach is to click safely eject, but in reality the write cache finishes so quickly you should just be able to yank it out. I don't know that I have ever safely ejected a <laughs> hard drive or a thumb drive. If you have like a hard drive full of thousands of precious photos, you know, you should safely eject it if it's like an external drive or something. I was going to say, I just – I will yank a thumb drive, but like a proper hard drive, like a, a terabyte or many hundreds of gigs, I, I'll i hit the button. That comes from when there was a physical spinning disk in there, right, and that could get damaged if you just pulled the cord out of the computer. It's a more serious issue with disks that spin, but even with solid-state disks, the formatting could get messed up in okay. a kind of worst-case scenario. Got it. Got it. All right. Now we all know. Whatever. Don't be a wimp. Just, just pull it out. Just do it. <laughs> Question number two is multiple choice. Last Monday, Twitter lowered the number of accounts that a single user can follow in a day from 1,000 to 400. According to the social network's head of site integrity, 400 was a, quote, reasonable limit for the average user while stopping most of the spam. According to him, what percentage of users are unaffected by this new limit? Is it A, 96.23, B, 97.54, C, 98.71, or D, 99.87? I'm guessing D because it's the highest one. That's it. Woohoo! <laughs> it affects 0.13% of all Twitter users. Who are probably all spammers, right? That's all horrible bots. But yes, that's yes. why it affects them. <laughs> the reason that Twitter made this rule is because bots and spam accounts will just sort of blanket follow a bunch of people to get the follow back and then quickly unfollow them. And this is meant to deter 
that type of gaming. Yeah, follow, unfollow. Yeah. It's growth hacking, which means... The grossest phrase. Yeah, that's just terrible. I recently went into my Twitter analytics and saw that I had a fairly famous follower, which was exciting. Until I scrolled down a few months and saw they had followed me then and followed me. And it was like every three or four months on the dot. They just followed me and then immediately unfollowed me. Yeah, they paid good money for that bot. Kathy Ireland followed me on Instagram. And anyone who is exactly my age and male knows who Kathy Ireland is. It was thrilling. She designs furniture for Kmart. But Kmart's not a thing anymore. She used to be a supermodel. She was the working man, Cindy Crawford. Question number three. Samsung's Galaxy S10 uses a fingerprint reader embedded in the screen, unlike previous models which had fingerprint readers on the back. And this fingerprint reader made by Qualcomm claims to be more secure by using sound waves to make sure the fingerprint you use isn't a 2D image. But an imager user has already figured out a way to spoof the security feature by using what method? Rob? A 3D printed copy of somebody's fingerprint. Yeah, they took a photo of a wine glass with a fingerprint on it and then used a 3D printer to add some depth to it. It's interesting because these ultrasonic scanners, they look for the 3D, the depth between the ridges and valleys. And so this 3D printing hack seems to have worked. That's pretty cool. And sometimes it doesn't even take that much depth. Some of the first hacks for Apple's Touch ID were basically just making a direct positive of the fingerprint on just a regular inkjet that created any kind of raise in the groove when it replicated the thing. That's what I had read as well, that because depending on how hard you push your finger can change the depth of your fingerprint, you know, it doesn't matter how deep it is. It just has to be some depth. Yep. I scraped my thumbprint off a couple years ago and had to change the finger that I used to log into. Is that true? Yeah. Like, like you I actually, was... you're like Rob. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I could have I could have committed many murders, but in <laughs> fact, I just But only with that one finger. I accidentally sandpapered my thumbprint off to the point where it did not work. <laughs> Question number four. Last episode, we talked about Verizon launching its 5G network in two cities, Chicago and Minneapolis. Not to be outdone, AT&T expanded its real 5G network, not 5G Edge, to seven more cities, upping its total to 19 cities. You can have a point for each of the new cities AT&T added that you can name. Stan. Tuscaloosa, Alabama. (laughs) Incorrect. Engadget did a story where they went to find the 5G in Chicago, and they had to, like, walk all over the city (laughs) with their phones held up. Chicago. The Verizon. Damn the Verizon. it. <laughs> yeah. So, like, even at once they turn on this network in a city, so, like, if you get, like, you're like, oh my God, it's in my city. I'm so excited. You're like, oh, well, it's over there by the mall. Which stand in front of the yeah. Dunkin' Donuts and don't move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can I guess uh, Atlanta? Atlanta is incorrect. Another thing that's worth noting is that AT&T doesn't have any phones that can use 5G yet either. Verizon at least has the phone. I was going to say, I'm fairly certain this is completely pointless anyway. Yes, AT&T is bragging about its 19 cities, but again, coverage is spotty and no phones that can use it. Yeah, I think the 2019 tech blog about new cities getting 5G is what 2018 was, where it was like, LG smart TVs can now use Samsung Fire TV sticks and all those boring things like that. I think that's where we are. There's always one boring thing that always shows up in the tech blogs, and I think that's going to be it for 2019. (laughs) The year of 5G that doesn't matter. But what are the cities? The cities are Austin, L.A., Nashville, Orlando, San Diego, San Francisco, and San Jose. It's it's like four blocks in each of those cities. Yeah. Yeah. Question number five. In 2015, Facebook introduced the legacy feature, a way to change your profile to a memorial in the event of death. 
Last week, the social network updated those memorials with the introduction of what section to a deceased person's profile? Rob. They added a couple things. I think it's like a, a tribute section, and they also are starting to use AI in a smarter way to make sure that people who have deceased, that their profiles aren't kind of surfaced in a way they shouldn't be. Rob, I'm going to give you a bonus point for that because you read almost verbatim my entire answer. <laughs> so well done. Thank you. Yeah, that's bad when you're like, it's your dead friend's birthday. And you're like, <laughs> Right wow. on his wall. Yeah. Yeah, this is not that, – that happens to me. Well, at least it has in the past happened to me a, a bunch of times and I don't – maybe I should just know fewer people that die I guess. But it's a real, Good luck with that. It's a real bummer when that happens. Yeah. Question number six is a multiple choice question. Last Wednesday, the Senate Commerce Committee held a meeting to examine the state of broadband maps in the U.S., which are currently drawn by the FCC. Microsoft believes the maps are incorrect, though, writing in a press release last week, quote, there's strong evidence, though, that the percentage of Americans without broadband access is much higher than the figures reported by the FCC. According to the FCC, 25 million Americans, about 7.6% of the population, does not have broadband internet, meaning speeds of 25 megabits per second or higher. According to the study Microsoft did, what percent of Americans are not using the internet at broadband speeds? Is it A, 50%, B, 60%, C, 70%, or D, 80%? Corinne. C, 70%. That is incorrect. Aw, sad. So they found it was about 50%, just over 50% of Americans, 162.8 million people. This is like a sore spot for Ajit Pai, who is the chairman of the FCC, where he, you know, this is one of his big things is that he wants to get broadband to more people. And it's a big, you know, they think that taking away net neutrality is going to be a thing that motivates companies to do that. So the problem, according to Microsoft, is the way in which broadband maps are reported right now that basically... The FCC says to a broadband company, you have internet there? You have broadband there? And they go, yup. And that's how it gets marked as positive. So there were areas where uh, the you know the FCC map said like near 100% of people in an area had broadband. And Microsoft found like anywhere from 2 to 20% of people only actually had broadband. So this is a language problem, right? Like a lot of people probably just don't know what broadband means. Well, no, it's it's not it's not user reported. It's company reported. So the company just says like, yeah, sure, yeah, right. This area has broadband, but the the practical application versus like technically there could be broadband in the area, but the infrastructure either doesn't reach everybody or everyone is just not using it. They need that. Can you hear me now, guy? To go over there, <laughs> try it out <laughs> in, it in various locations. <laughs> Question number seven. A few weeks ago, we discussed the Save the Internet Act of 2019, which Democrats introduced to restore net neutrality. Last week, the bill passed in the House of Representatives, and shortly thereafter, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said that he won't consider the bill and it's, quote, dead on arrival in the Senate. How many Republicans voted with Democrats to pass the Save the Internet ha- Act in the House? Rob. I'm going to guess zero. Zero is incorrect. Corinne. Seven. Seven is incorrect. The last one was four, right? I'm getting mixed up between the two. I'm going to say four because I'm pretty sure that's what the last one was. But I can't remember if it's this one or the last one. It's also incorrect. It was just one. Just one. Just one. Question number eight is multiple choice. A story went viral last week about a three-year-old entering the wrong code on his father's iPad, causing it to lock for how long? 
A, 24 years, B, 36 years, C, 48 years, or D, 60 years? Rob? I think it was B, 36 years, because I remember the headline said 2067. But I, I'm bad at math, so maybe I'm wrong. You're bad at math. It's 48 years. Ah. Well, because it doesn't the, – the iPad doesn't tell you in years. It tells you in, like, hundreds of thousands of minutes, right? right? So, like, I, rem- I saw the screenshot, and it just said some absurd number with lots of commas in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there is an easy way to fix it, though, if this happens to you. Just put the iPad in recovery mode. Yeah. So what happens if you don't have an iPad or an iPhone or any sort of device that requires you to log in? The more times yeah. you try the wrong password, the longer it is before it will let you actually log in. It locks you out to try and prevent people from just guessing every password. I remember this used to be a game when the iPhone came out and I was in high school. And we used to just lock people's iPhones and see how long we could get it to go for. Your friends are jerks. Oh, my friends are total jerks. I definitely never did it because I am a good person who does not do that. Definitely. Stupid kids. <laughs> teach them. Stupid iPads. <laughs> yeah. Question number nine. For the last five years, developers of a piece of malware have been working on a version of the software that spies on Android users. Last week, Lookout, a mobile security firm, announced they'd found an iOS version of this malware. What is the name of the malicious app? I genuinely don't know. I this one. literally I have no idea what's happening. It's Bycatcher or something. It's called Exodus. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to keep track of all the new like all the new spyware and stuff because they always have such fancy names. What was the WannaCry was last year's? Yeah. Remember Heartbleed? Heartbleed. That was what I was trying to think of. Yeah, they always have such dramatic names when it's like altering code, ruining lives. Although breaking into iOS is a little uncomfy making. Right. Because that's one of the things. That was the big news too. And it it wasn't directly through the Apple Store, but they did it the way that a lot of big tech companies will install private certificates on phones of employees or other people so they can beta test software. This was a security certificate that was not actually a security certificate, and that's how they fed the app onto phones. And question number 10, the final question of the round. Online security is a serious topic and one that Google doesn't take lightly. A video released on the official Android YouTube channel last week revealed that 81% of account breaches in 2018 were the result of phishing, where hackers trick users into revealing their passwords. In the same video, though, Android announced it was bringing what feature to Google accounts to increase online security? Rob. Is it a form of two-step verification that uses like a security key or something? You got to be more specific than that, but you're on the right track. Does it use the Google Titan security key? Does not use the Google Titan security key. Does it use a really annoying one of those things that makes me pick the pictures with the crosswalk in it? <laughs> a capture. Want to throw my computer? Find a streetlight. Training their AI when they don't <laughs> tell you you're training their AI. Yeah, which one of these has a storefront in it? And also... <laughs> I'm leaving my computer forever and never <laughs> signing into this account. Rob, you were on the right track. You'll be able to use your Android phone as a physical security key. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. So you'll have to have an Android phone running Android 7.0 or newer and a Bluetooth-enabled Chrome OS, Mac OS, or Windows 10 device. And you have to be using Google Chrome across all of those devices. But you'll basically be able to use your phone to verify your identity. You press and hold a button when it gives you the prompt, 
and then it sends a signal to your computer, and that's how it knows that it's actually you. Boy, Google announced some like interesting stuff kind of under the radar yeah. last week. Like They integrated Assistant into some of their G Suite stuff, like uh, Docs, and then you're also, I think they added native editing of like Microsoft Word documents. Which, yep. yeah, so mm. if somebody emails you a Microsoft Word doc, you don't have to upload and convert it into a Google Doc anymore, which is like manna from heaven. Yeah, I feel that's like this, pretty cool. this all just kind of, they just kind of slipped it out there all in, in one big... One big deal. It was like a lot of Google news last week that was came pretty quietly. Speaking of passwords, what's your guys' favorite password? <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you are the winner again this week. Congratulations. Your prize is a very special homemade chocolate donut from our friends here at Sever, our sister publication. I have to say, I think I already ate that, and it was really good. <laughs> Rob, you ate the prize before we won. <laughs> You're just walking around with a big tray of them. What, what was the man supposed to do? So good. Well, Rob, congratulations. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back after this. Welcome back. Are you following us on Twitter already, at Techathlon Show? If not, you should be. We're growing our follower base the old-fashioned way by begging you to join us with literally every opportunity we get. But not everyone out there on the internet is so noble, as we learned in the Decathlon. Some people try to game the system, and companies constantly struggle to rein in the shenanigans. Right, Corinne? That's exactly right, Jason. This is social media. There are rules here. And this week we saw what Twitter did, reducing the amount of followers that people can add in a given span of time from 1,000 down to 400. But of course, like Twitter is not alone. And this isn't even the only Twitter rule that maybe is valid, but in some ways might seem completely arbitrary. So we're going to play a little game called Mother May I. I'm going to go around the room one by one, spin a little scenario, and then ask the social network if the scenario is something that's allowed. And all you have to do is say, yes, that's allowed, or no, that's not. Okay, ready? We're starting with you, Jason. All right. I just launched RobBot on Kickstarter, and I'm super stoked to beg for money from every person who's made the unfortunate error of following me on Twitter. Q tweets machine gun style. Twitter, may I fire up a bot that promotes the campaign every 10 seconds? Shout out to Charlie Scott. Who tweets us every week about Robbot? Our greatest Robbot fan. I am a Robbot. That is me. I am going to say this is not allowed. That is right. It is not allowed. The tweet cap is 2,400 posts per day. All right, Rob. Hello. I'm about to run my first marathon and want to live stream the whole thing on Facebook. Now, I'm no gazelle, so I expect the race to take me about five hours. Facebook. Can I just post this in a single, continuous stream? I'm just going to guess, sure, why not? You, you can do that. Uh, live streams can be as long as you want. In fact, they cannot. This is not allowed. Facebook live videos can only be up to four hours in length. Mm, okay. Which doesn't really seem to make any sense. I guess they probably have to have some sort of arbitrary cutoff. Can you imagine watching the same thing for four hours at a time in 2019? Like, <laughs> Get ready to for Avengers Endgame. How long is that movie? It's like three hours and four minutes, but it's still over that three-hour tipping point where people are going to start to get shifty in their seats. I'm but so that's excited. good because that means I can live stream the whole thing to Facebook. Perfect. And you guys can watch it for free. Perfect. Perfect. All right, Stan, what I have to tell you next is truly shocking. I really like cats. In fact, I have an entire Instagram feed positively filled with adorable little noses that I scroll through going, 
boop on each and every one. Now, there are easily 10,000 or more kitty-centric accounts on Instagram. May I follow all of them for my boop-ing purposes? So it's essentially, is there a, a limit on how many Instagram accounts you can follow? That is the question. I would, man, 10,000 is like the perfect number because it's, if there is a limit, it's probably like 9,999. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say that, no, you cannot follow 10,000 people. You are correct. This is not allowed. Instagram's follower count caps at 7,500. Oh, wow. The number of accounts that an individual can follow at once total? Total. Not in a day, like total, total cut you off. You cannot follow after 7,500. Interesting. The number of Instagram accounts I follow and don't regret following is like three. So (laughs) am am I one of them? No, I figured. All right, Jason, you ready? Yes. I'm friends with a married couple who insist on sharing one Facebook account. Those people are the worst. I was going to say that the name is a cloying mashup of both their first and last names. I hate that. Now, this is annoying. Facebook. Can I totally rat them out for breaking the rules? Can you? Like, can I tell face? Can I flag this to Facebook as a breach of their rules? Yes. You are correct. The Facebook terms of service say that one account should be linked to only one person. Stop. Doing that. Never, ever do that. It's the worst. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if Facebook would, like, enforce it, but it's definitely against the rules. Right. That's, so that's what I was trying to get at. It's like, can you? Yeah. Like, it's it's kind of a d- move, but you can do it. Yeah, I was looking for something in the Facebook FAQ one time, and I just, in the, like, top responses was a guy who was furious because Facebook deleted his account that was both his he and his wife. And all these, like... People were giving him these measured responses, and he was getting increasingly angry that his uh, – it was it was really good. If you ever just search for that topic on the Facebook FAQ, it's a real fun rabbit hole to fall down <laughs> just randomly. I want to do that again. It's been a long time since I've done that. Okay, Rob. Yes. Let's just say for a second I'm a brilliant creative mind and have started a wildly successful Instagram account dedicated to potato chips that look like famous historical figures. I decide I'm ready to retire after months of hard work scouring bags for the perfect Abraham Lincoln. Instagram. Can I sell my account to the highest bidder and spend the rest of my days on the beach? I don't think that's allowed. I don't think you're allowed to sell an account. That is correct. Instagram's terms of service forbid you from selling any part of your account, which includes the name. I think it's probably true of like Twitter, too. Like you can't sell a handle to somebody else. It doesn't stop people from doing it, though. You just shouldn't get caught. You got to do it on the dark web. <laughs> that, was, that was awfully sneaky of like, yeah, just don't get caught. I've never done that before. <laughs> Stan, last question. Imagine, just as a wild off-the-wall example, that I think Ben Affleck is a certified butthead. So I create a meme. Let's call it Buttfleck. That features Ben with a pair of buttocks photoshopped atop his melon. Facebook. May I post it for my shot at virality? So can I put a picture of Ben Affleck with a butt on his face? Because oh, Facebook doesn't allow butts, right? Do they? Or is it just nipples? I mean, butts don't have nipples. Let's let's work this out logically Every, here. Everybody, everybody has a butt. But is right. the deeper but question here like, nipples. are you allowed to manipulate a photo of a famous person and post it? I don't know if that's part of the question. If you own the rights There's to m- the— It's multi-layered, the question. Yeah. Wow, this is a hard one. I But like— I mean, if, I'm just going to say that Facebook is a real killjoy and won't let you post naked butts no matter what. 
Well, it's a little bit of a gray area, Stan. It seems if you read to the letter Facebook's current community standards, this is allowed. While you're not allowed to post, quote, visible anus and or fully nude close-ups of buttocks, there is a loophole that allows them if they're, quote, photoshopped onto a public figure. So I can Photoshop an anus onto a public figure? A that's visible okay. anus. I mean, that's my reading of these rules. I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> but I feel like I could argue this. <laughs> the Facebook community standards are hilarious because they're like, look, we gave you this easy-to-read document, and then you go through it, and it would take you two hours. To, I remember when they released it. It was, like, earlier this year or something, right? And I tried to, like, look through it, and it's just— it's just a huge amount of— I feel like you'd need to make one of those CIA string graphs for, like, the ways that everything are interconnected and dependent. Like from Homeland? Yes. Okay, so that brings our final score. Jason got two of two correct. Robin and Stan each got one right. Congrats, Jason. You're a master of arbitrary rules. You know, somebody's got to be. Your well, visible anus trophy will be here next week. <laughs> <laughs> you can post a picture of it on Facebook. Now that's allowed, as long as it's on Ben Affleck's face. Thanks, Corinne. We're going to move on to our final game of the episode now. Buying physical objects is so 20th century. Selling in-game objects and currency for apps and video games has generated billions of dollars in revenue. But the way developers sell those digital products is causing some problems, which Stan is going to tell us about. Yeah, one particularly tricky area this whole conversation is about what are called loot boxes. And if you're unfamiliar, a loot box is an assortment of in-game items that players get as a reward for either achieving goals in the game or spending real dollars to buy them. If you have kids and they play stupid iPad games, you are almost certainly painfully familiar with this process. If this kind of sounds like gambling... That's well, because it is. It's because it is, yes. And countries like Belgium and the Netherlands have actually banned the process, which means that big game makers have to change the way their games work. Later this summer, the FTC here in the United States is holding a workshop to begin the process of possibly regulating the loot boxes like they have in those other countries. No matter what happens, however, in-game digital objects will likely continue to grow in value. I'm going to give you a particularly pricey digital object that's sold in the past as well as a price. You'll have to guess whether the actual sale price was higher or lower than the one I gave you. And if you all get them wrong, you have to buy me Overwatch loot boxes so I can get some awesome Moira skins. All right, Corinne, you're going to go first. The massively multiplayer online RPG called Entropia Universe has a history of in-game objects fetching huge price tags. In 2009, a gamer spent 3300000 of the in-game dollars, called PEDs, on a virtual space station called the Crystal Palace, which is also a terrible casino in Las Vegas. <laughs> The real-world equivalent sum was enough to generate headlines. Was it above or below 100,000 U.S. dollars? How many millions in the game was it? It sold for 3,300,000 PEDs, which is their in-game currency. I'm going to say it's probably, I'm going to think that it's at least a 3x on the currency, so I'm going to say more than $100,000. Yeah, it was $333,000. Look at that, and I was even right with the proportions. I'm a genius. Yeah. It wasn't actually 3X. I did that math wrong, but that's fine. That's okay. So, th yeah, 333,000 actual dollars for a virtual space. So it was 10X. Yeah. Well, you, okay. one, one PED buck was worth about a tenth of a 10 cents. All right. Question number two, Jason. EVE Online is another space-based MMO in which players create spaceships and engage in political disputes that seem really tedious, at least from an outside perspective. In 2014, one of the game's biggest ever battles saw the destruction of ships totaling more than $200,000 in real-world money. One particularly pricey ship was called a Titan. Was the value of that ship above or below $3,500 in real-world value? 
how many ships did you say were destroyed? It was dozens. But we're only talking about one ship. Yeah, the most expensive one was called a Titan. I'm going to say more. It was. One of the most expensive Titans was $5,500. Wow. Yeah, these things can take months to build, and they take, like, real planning and stuff. Like, it's it, – I can't imagine playing it. Uh, but the people who love it, they really love it. All right, Rob, question number three. Not all costs boil down to dollars. In 2017, EA introduced Star Wars Battlefront Two. The game has a complex economy, which included loot boxes you could buy for real money. The game also allowed players to grind, which is to play for long periods of time and earn experience that unlocks extras. Fan backlash was strong when the game was released, though, as the two biggest names in the game, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, required a huge time commitment to unlock. Players calculated the average number of hours required to unlock them. Was it above or below 24 hours of playing? I'm going to guess that it was above 24 hours. Yeah. Originally, it was roughly 40 hours of playing the game that you needed to before you could unlock Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker. You should be able to unlock those characters right away. They're awesome. Yeah, some people were mad because there was technically a way you could take real money, uh, uh, just an absurd amount of real money, buy these loot boxes, and then eventually turn what was in them into points to unlock them. So if you were just a really rich guy, you could unlock Darth Vader right away. Which we all are. <laughs> yes. Uh, the backlash was so severe that the company eventually cut the uh, amount of experience required to unlock those characters by 75%. Good. Yeah. So that just shows you that if you don't want to grind, just complain a lot on the internet. You'll get what you want. Question number four, Corinne. Mm-hmm. World of Warcraft is a heavy hitter when it comes to in-game currency. In fact, the gold from the game is valuable enough that companies farm it for sale on the open market. When the Legion expansion debuted in 2016, one of its most prized items was the Bloodfang Widow, a giant spider you could ride around inside the game. I want to ride no. a spider. No. Yes. yes. No. Yes. Are you excited no or are you scared knowing? Scared I can't knowing. tell. <laughs> Hard no. Baby. Hard no. no. I'm not riding the giant spider. I think this sounds incredible. So much better than a mechanical bull. Well, but now, go on. Now I would it sounds like it's worth whatever price it costs to scare Jason, really. Uh, was its real-world price above or below $1,000 during the month of its release? Above. That's right. It was above. It was about $1,100 during that month. Worth Interest- it to scare Jason. Interestingly, World of Warcraft has a weird currency manipulation problem in which has made some of the very expensive objects now cheap. So if you wanted to buy it last summer... It would only be about $200 instead of $1,100. If your investment portfolio is all World of Warcraft spiders, then you're you're having a hard time. <laughs> you took a big, big hit. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Jason. Team Fortress 2 is one of the most beloved team shooter games of all time. Players earn rewards after each game that let them customize their avatars in a purely aesthetic way. Hats are one of the most popular adornments, and they can get pretty pricey for the really rare ones. Right now, one of the most expensive hats is called the Burning Team Captain, which appears as though it's on fire. There are only four of them in existence, reportedly. Last year, one sold at auction. Did it fetch more or less than $25,000? Flaming hats. It's a hat. I think less, but not by much. It was less. It was the, it sold for $14,000, which is still a lot. It's still a lot, but less than I thought. The previous champion for expensive things in Team Fortress 2 was something called the Golden Frying Pan. Which I like I like how crazy the names are of this because it really hammers home how 
while it is there. Am I supposed to hit people with the frying pan? I, I honestly don't know. I've never... Gold would make a terrible frying pan. It's a very soft metal. You, you would just bend over somebody's head. But it's also incredibly heavy. And shiny. You know, so I thought... You make a yacht out of it. I thought yeah. I was going to be the biggest nerd for doing this video game game, and then you guys helped me out by doing that. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. And now yes. we're doing great. Mm-hmm. AU, get off my pan. All right, Rob. Hello. Last question. I liked that a lot. One of the first cases of outrage over digital item pricing happened all the way back in 2006. Bethesda announced a set of decorative horse armor you could buy in its role-playing game, Oblivion. The purely visual upgrade didn't make your horse any tougher, but it did make it look a lot fancier. (laughs) Badass. It cost 500 Xbox points, which is now a defunct concept. Was the real value of those points above or below $5 in 2006? I'm going to guess above. It was actually below. Uh, back then, you, back then, it was worth $2.50, and people were very upset. I'm surprised that that sparked outrage because, you know, armor that's just decorative sounds silly, but $2.50 is so little. It is so little. And especially now, <laughs> consider, consider Fortnite and how much people pay to just do purely just decorate their online stuff. Corinne, like, stop flossing. We know you know the, the Fortnite <laughs> dances, but that's... We're in the middle of a podcast. Yeah. So if you ever if you ever see someone use the hor- say horse armor on the internet, that's what they're talking about. It's a become a popular meme. I didn't know that. Thing. Thank you for teaching me a meme. There you go. The more you know. Okay. So Jason and Corinne are tied to win the ceremonial horse armor. Prize. What if I just throw the spider at him? <laughs> no. He would, he would run away and cry, and I'd I'd be very happy about it. So I double win. Yes. Excellent. But instead, you have to answer this question. Okay. Once upon a time in the mid-2000s, a virtual world called Second Life was set to take over the actual world, at least if you believed a bunch of tech publications. Players could sell items or services in the game for Linden dollars, which they could cash out into PayPal. And people made surprising amounts of money by making virtual outfits for virtual creepos who wanted (laughs) that mostly. (laughs) Obviously, Second Life hasn't taken over the world, but the Linden dollars still have value. How many Linden dollars would you need to get one U.S. dollar right now? 37. 1,482. Wow. So Curran wins because the answer is 257. 257. Yeah, if you have 257 Linden dollars in second Hold life, on, I'm doing... Hold on. You get we're yourself we're doing some dollar. pennies math right now. Oh, it's point zero zero three three eight eight or something like it's that. It's zero zero four two cents. Karen, you are the winner of the Linden dollars that I do not have. I am a master of useless fake money garbage. Yeah, but well done. Thank you. Thank you, Stan. Everybody was a winner this week except for Stan, who didn't win any games. I got to talk a lot though. That's true. Which really means that you, the listener, won. <laughs> <laughs> what if the real winner was the friends we made along the way? On that note, we're going to sign off. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. We'll catch you back here next Monday. Techathlon is a popular science podcast. We're available on all major podcast platforms, so subscribe wherever you're listening now. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It will help other people to find the show. You can buy our merch, including T-shirts, tote bags, and mugs at popsci.threadless.com. The show is produced by the entire PopSci tech team and me, Jason Letterman. Our theme music is by Billy Cadden. If you have questions, suggestions, or opinions to share, tweet us at Techathlon Show. Thanks for listening.